0: He has prepared a way. Last night I was listening to, I listened to the whole Messiah last night just to get my spirit right. And I just, the, the marvelous story in Isaiah, in the Messiah, handles Messiah, of the, pre, the way that God prepared the way for us just uh, stirred me. Well, 2020 has been a different year, hasn't it? In fact, I thought you might call it in the year that COVID-19 shut down the whole world. (laughs) It's been a difficult year for many people, many people in many different ways. And it's been a challenging year for the church. I mean, just look, it's not how you started the year. And I believe the Lord wants us to take stock this morning of what he has done to prepare us for the year that lies ahead, 2020, no matter what happens, no matter who sits in the Oval Office, no matter... It doesn't matter because God has prepared a way for us. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now, I know that you've had some historical background uh, about Isaiah. Uh, Sam mentioned that. I think Jeremiah did. Jerry did as well. So, uh, I'm not going to go there. But I want to explain why I chose that picture. And I chose it specifically because it reminds us that Isaiah stood head and shoulders above all the other prophets in the Old Testament in in his grasp of of the coming Messiah of Jesus. And and that's in there. There's there's the, the, the birth of Jesus and there's the death of Jesus on the cross. Every time you think of that, you go to Isaiah 54. Such a powerful picture that he had. And I believe that that is true of Isaiah because of the vision that he had that we will be looking at this morning. So let me read this for us. Isaiah chapter 1. Here Isaiah is taking stock. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year of this vision, and we I think Uzziah was still alive at this time, otherwise in the way they date things in the scriptures, uh, it would have been dated differently. So Uzziah was still alive, but it was in that particular year that he saw this vision. I saw the Lord, he says. And we can be pretty certain that Isaiah actually knew the Lord before he had this vision because he'd been an active as a prophet in in the many years before Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's death. But now, in this particular year, he saw the Lord. And this vision that he had completely changed his perception of God and of himself and of the nation of Israel, God's people. You know, I've heard enough testimonies, including my own, to recognize that there are many reasons why people become Christians. Uh, Some because... They have a fear of going to hell. Some because of pressure of family and and friends and so on. I know some people who've who've come to Jesus because uh, they they made a deal with God. If you get me out of this scrape, I'll follow you forever. And there are many other reasons for that. Not everybody really understands the issue of of sin in their lives. But that's okay. Because you know what? God takes us just as I am. God will take you wherever you come as you come into his presence. My own testimony was that that uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home, never went to church, never had no idea of, of all of that, I mean, I knew they were Christians, but I went to England to study, and uh, in the course of my studies, I, I became involved in the whole idea of evolution, and I was absolutely fascinated, captured by the, the logic and the, that, and the evidence for evolution, and I, was, I, I bought into it, Uh, but God reached his hand down and brought this young lady, Maureen, my wife, into my life. And She was a believer and she took me to church and in church in the young people's group they began to show some moody science films and I began to realize that this this whole wonderful creation didn't just happen by chance. There was, there had to be a creator God and so... So my response to God initially was because he was the creator, and that changed my mind, my life. And I learned how to do all the Christian things. It wasn't until many years later that uh, when my heart was far from the Lord, still doing the right things, still involved, fact very involved in the church but I had a confrontation with the Lord one morning in a church service and it's a long story but but the end result of that confrontation was that well let me just say this that in that confrontation I saw in a small measure in in my own personal way what Isaiah records that he saw here I saw the Lord. I saw the reality of my own sin. And God gave me grace and mercy. But that utterly changed my life. And I'm here this morning because of that. And that's an even longer story. But my point is this. That our perception of God our mental picture of God, who we think God is and what he's like, determines how we relate to him and how we relate to others. And think of that picture that I had earlier, that picture of Isaiah. Maureen said it looks like me. That was not intentional. (laughs) But I Googled pictures of Isaiah and there was a whole range of pictures of him from being like a reasonably normal looking human being to somebody who was very stylistic with a halo around his head and all those kind of things. So those are just different perceptions of Isaiah and we have different pictures, perceptions, uh, ideas of what God is like in our minds. There are all kinds of pressures. I'll mention this later, that, that, that pressure us to uh, shape the picture that we have of God. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is what he saw. Seemed to have missed him. Uh, sorry, I'll get it right. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim, only time in the scriptures that seraphim are mentioned, the burning ones. The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Man, what a vision. What a vision. I would think scary in its way because so totally different to anything that he knew or had experienced in his own life. But one thing he would have recognized, and that was what he heard the seraphim calling out to one another, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's true now. Just think about that. But Isaiah got that loud and clear. He was a prophet of Israel. He understood that only God was holy. In fact, God was considered to be so holy that they didn't even write his name out in full in the Hebrew Scriptures. They would substitute other names for it. And even today, Jewish people will not speak out the name of God. It's just too holy. So Isaiah got that message loud and clear. And in verse 5, he makes it very clear that he understood who he was looking at. He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. For I've seen the King, the Lord of hosts, God himself, the King, the Lord of hosts. And he fears for his life because he recognizes not only the majesty of God and the holiness of God, but he recognizes his own personal uh, unholiness, and that the whole of Israel, in fact, is unholy, and that's essentially what unclean lips means. But God, God doesn't leave us there. When God saw that Isaiah had got it, he and that he'd recognized the holiness of God and this, this enormous gulf between God's holiness and his own state of, of, of life and the nation. It says, the seraphim, one of them, flew to me with a burning coal, which he'd taken into his hand. Took a burning coal in his hand, but he was the burning one anyway, so that figures... And he'd taken it from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, those burning coals are are symbols, actually, of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary so that you and I can, like Isaiah, stand before a holy God, cleansed, forgiven, See, that's what the blood of Jesus does. It cleanses us from all of our sin if we will acknowledge them, confess them, and repent. And and verse 5 is the beginning of Isaiah's repentance because he says, Woe is me! I am undone. I am ruined. He recognizes. That was a confession. That was the beginning of his turning. See, God not only forgives us our sin, though, says your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. So he doesn't only forgive us our sin, he removes them. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west. I love that. I remind myself of that many times. Hebrews 10 verse 17 says, he will remember them no more just like in Isaiah's picture of the burning coals from the altar. So now, like Isaiah, you and I can stand in the presence of a holy God. That's good news. You can get excited, even at home. Now, I know that uh, Jerry spoke about holiness last week. Uh, but I believe that most Christians, and 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 this includes me, we really only have a second-hand perception of what God's holiness is, and we get this from the pulpits, from movies, from TV. Uh, few weeks, a month ago now probably Maureen and I were up in Virginia in the little town where she grew up for many years and and I saw this uh, street light post that was absolutely covered as far up as you could reach to way down with nails and tacks and staples and screws and all of these things which which obviously had been used to... uh, Put notices to in, in in time back, but it just reminded me of of what my own life would look like. It was just a graphic picture of uh, what my life had been like before, and in a measure, I guess, from the outside, uh, that's still there. But we have to remember that we are forgiven of our sins, so the penalty for those things which still mark and shape our lives has been paid. We're forgiven. We've become a new creation, and our spirit man is renewed as God comes to live in us. So when the Father looks at us, what he in fact sees is much more like the bottom picture, which is another light uh, pole that stands in front of our house that's nice and clean and smooth and a couple of marks on it and the purpose of that is just to show you that there's a process that needs to take place in our lives which we call to sanctify or sanctification and what that process is about is God taking that old me uh, uh, and making me more like him. Scripture says we're being transformed into his likeness day by day. So when the Father looks at us, actually he sees a picture like the bottom because his spirit is now living in us. But I'm still living in a body With the same mind that I had. And all the patterns of living and habits and all of those things, everything about that lifestyle needs to be transformed, needs to be sanctified to God's standards and holiness. And and that's what I'm trying to show in that diagram. Let me just say this about holiness. It's hard to describe. You, you start looking in theology books and you find holiness is difficult to describe because it's so uniquely God. It's, I don't have time to go there today. I wish I could, but uh, I believe that all those offerings and sacrifices and so on in the Old Testament were kind of like God's show and tell to help his people to understand that that some things were holy and some things were not holy. And uh, he's the one who made the decision of which was which, but it was to help his people to see that God decided what was holy, God decided what was unholy, his word was finally. Let me take just one scripture or, or passage and read a few verses out of this to you. It's in Leviticus chapter 11, and it goes as follows, verse 43: "Do not render, he'd been talking about things that they could eat and want to eat, and so on." He says, "Do not resent, render yourself detestable through any of the swarming things, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them, so that you become unclean, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of these things. Verse 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy. For I am holy. This is the law regarding all of these things. And then he says, to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean between the edible and and what you are not to eat. So that's changed some for us now. Tozer puts it this way in his little book. Holy is the way of God, or the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. We can't compare him with anything. (laughs) That's why it's hard to describe. He he is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. Most of us don't see it that way. Most of us see it in terms of things we do. We go to, to church, we wear our tie, we do communion this way, we, all kinds of things that are external. And God says it's, it's what happens inside. See, what God's holiness tells us is that there is no way that we can make ourselves holy because only God is holy. Holiness comes from God, always. Holiness or sanctification is not a human achievement, accomplishment. It's a work of God. Holiness or sanctification, in fact, is not about dealing with sin. It's a consequence of the fact that your sin has been dealt with. You are forgiven, you are washed clean, and now God in his holiness can come and begin to change you. So so how does that work for us as disciples of Jesus? And, and I'm going to fast track a little bit here for the sake of time, but also because I've been listening to messages that your pastors have been giving you, and they've laid some really good foundations, so I don't need to go... Uh, into detail of this. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. By this will, he's talking about the will of God. So it was the will of God that you and I We're sanctified through what happened on the cross, through the body of Christ once for all. And note, I underline that because it's have been. It's done. It's in the past. It's a done deal. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are sanctified by what Jesus did for you on Calvary's cross. And Paul goes on in Corinthians to to say this. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go back and read from, from uh, verse nine here because 1 uh, Corinthians chapter six verse nine. He says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous or unholy will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were like that, he says. And we could add a whole lot of other unholy things. Jerry mentioned some of them last time. But then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of of our God. You see, the cross was not just to forgive your sins. Hallelujah, that would have been enough. But it says you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And we could add some other things that the scripture tells about what happened on the cross. You were redeemed. You are declared to be righteous. So what your renewed spirit man inside of you looks like when God comes to dwell in your heart is washed, sanctified, redeemed, declared righteous, and so much more. John in 1 John chapter 4 verse 15 to 17 explains it this way. He says, as he is Jesus, so also are we in this world. Let that sink into your mind. As he is, as Jesus was, because of all that happened on the cross, so are we in this world, but we're not spirits, are we? Just spirits. We have a mind, we live in a body, and even though our spirits have been renewed, there's still nails and tacks and screws. Think of that picture that I showed you. Think of my testimony. The point that God wants us to get this morning is there is so much more. As we take stock of what God's done for us, he didn't just save us, wash us from our sins, sins, give us the life insurance so we don't have to go to hell. There is so much more. It's like the difference between just taking your car down to the car wash, being happy with that, or going a little bit further and having it detailed and everything else. So I hope you can see that now, that we have been sanctified in our spirit. We are sanctified in our spirit, but how do we become sanctified in our minds and our emotions and our process. What is the process? What is the process of sanctification that follows having been sanctified in our spirits? Well, let's go on in the scriptures to 1 Peter chapter one, where Peter writes, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, it's by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. So the process of you and I being sanctified, being changed into his likeness uh, from the holiness that dwells in us in our spirits by God's presence there, happens by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. As you yield your mind and your choice, and your will in obedience to the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, begins to change you, to transform you by, by removing, replacing all those nails and spikes and, and the grunge of your previous life. So the evidence of holiness in our lives is exclusively the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I believe That's one of the reasons why Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, trying to live the Christian life, my brothers and sisters, my friends, is a cul-de-sac It's a dead end. It's a frustrating, discouraging, dead end. I know. I've tried it. And I know some of you have tried it. And some of you are still working at it. Sanctification is a dynamic process in our lives and is solely and exclusively the work the the Scripture tells us of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus told his saved disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you shall be my witnesses. Hold that thought. And that's true for the church too because uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus tells us that he sanctified the church too. So it's not just something for me as an individual, it's it's something for, for us as the body of Christ, as his people. And that's why the church, now listen to me, that's why the church needs to be bold in these days to stand up for holiness and for our distinctiveness as the people of God, for separateness, that marks us. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus tells us again, and this is his beautiful prayer towards the end of his life, right last night that he was alive, prosperous was the next day. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he's telling us again that it's through the word which is the truth that the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. Our minds and our emotions need to be transformed so that our lives reflect what he did on the cross at Calvary. And so, so the word has to be central to our lives. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about us, the church, God's people. A people for God's own possession. In fact, the, the Greek word for that is ecclesia, the called out ones called out from the world because of our difference now, our separateness, our distinctiveness, because the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Listen to this. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to me, church. Outside of that, without that holiness uh, understanding and endeavor in our lives to, to let God work it out in us through his word and through his spirit. Outside of that, our witness will be nothing more than man-made and ineffective. Let me just say that where Jesus says, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified in truth, uh, what Jesus was, was without sin. So you might say, well, he didn't need to be sanctified. No. In fact, in John 10, verse 36, Jesus said, God sanctified me and sent me. So the key word is for their sakes. He did for them what they could not do for themselves. Now, here's the challenge for you this morning that you would take time in this year, 2021, to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Get into the Word. God speaks to us through His Word. And, and ask God to give you a clear vision of himself as, as much as you can handle and in the personal way that he would do that. But ask him to give you a vision of who he is. Let me read Romans chapter 6, a few verses from here. Paul puts it very clearly. Verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, he's talking about our old life before we became believers. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore what benefit you then were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? The outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. Eternal life is not just living a long time. Jesus explains in John chapter 17, eternal life is living forever in the presence of a holy God. Wow. Wow. We have not because we ask not. Jerry, how much I time? Can I take another five or ten minutes? Okay. Well, God bless you. No, I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. I won't keep you long. As I've been looking at the world that we're living in, taking stock over the past many months, watching things that have been happening, trying to understand them, trying to understand what is true, what's fake. Uh, you know, it's so confusing out there for us. And and why are we there? Why have we ended up where we are as a nation? One of the things that has become very clear to me uh, and has become a huge burden to me is that as a nation, but in the church Particularly, we have chosen in many instances to not go with the holy but to go with the unholy. Toza puts it this way He says, We've learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing. We're not disappointed that we do not find all truth in our teachers or faithfulness in our politicians or complete honesty in our merchants or full trustworthiness of our friends. And so that we may continue to exist, we just make laws that are necessary to protect us from our fellow man and let it go at that. Toza wrote that in 1961. People, nothing has changed. In fact, the avalanche has gathered momentum and is heading down the hill at breakneck speed. Uh, Jesus told us these things would happen. He said, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to, present, to parents, ungrateful, holy, unholy. The list goes on. Those are all unholy things. Peter asks well then since it's going to be that way how then should we live what kind of people ought we to be in our holy conduct and righteousness Paul explains some of the ways of holiness and your pastor Jerry did a a wonderful job with this last week, so I'm not going to list everything. Except this verse where Paul says, So, as those who have been chosen by God, holy, sanctified in other words, and loved, put on a heart of compassion. Compassion is what comes from God, and so everything that comes from God is holy. So being compassionate is is expressing holiness in your life, and that's true for kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and goodness, and love, and all of the other things that characterize our incredible God. Not that hard, folks. You don't have to go to Walmart and buy a halo. You can just let the Holy Spirit change you inside. Now, you see, holiness flows from our hearts, from our renewed spirits as we yield to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It's like a fruit that grows inside of you and just keeps on bearing moment by moment, day after day, year after year. We are so anchored in the doing stuff to be holy. Now, we often think that there's nothing much that we can do about the future. But there is something you can do about the future. You can determine this morning how you are going to live in the future, in 2021. And this is a verse that I've, I've adopted for myself. And remember in the same sense that Jesus sanctifying himself was uh, not a work that he did, but something that he did for their sakes because they couldn't do it. He embraced the will of God, in other words, so that God could accomplish his purpose. For their sakes, I want to do the same. That they themselves the church, my family, my friends, and everyone who might be touched by my life also may be sanctified in the truth. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you for the enormous, enormous, transactions that took place on the cross in Calvary forgive us for being content with so little of what you did as you gave your life your body and your blood for us that we might be sanctified made holy and live forever in your presence stir that in our hearts by your spirit Lord In Jesus' name.